0: You're listening to the CyberWire Network, powered by N2K.
1: Hi, I'm Brett Arsenault, Chief Information Security Officer at a little company called Microsoft. Recently, I was approached by some customers who were really struggling with the complexities of the security threat landscape. In particular, just looking for practical advice. With the increase in threats, with the changing landscape and digital transformation that's going on, people were really trying to understand from experts, what could they do practically that would actually help them in this new threat landscape we're living in today? And I realized how fortunate I am to have met with some of the sharpest minds on this topic, whether it's competitors, vendors, internal Microsoft people, government people, who all share a vision for a mission on how to better protect ourselves. This created an opportunity to take some of those learnings and share them in this podcast series. Hopefully you'll find this interesting. I know I'll learn a lot from it. Welcome to the podcast, Amy Coleman.
0: Thanks, Brad. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: I can't think of a more interesting topic, obviously, with everything going on with COVID and people uh, in many parts of the world returning to work. And we always think about this in people, process and technology In my role, a lot of times I'm cast as just a technologist, but obviously, you know, being part of the COVID team, we think about, you know, our people in particular as one of the most critical assets we have in any company, but certainly here at Microsoft. And so as we think about both when COVID first happened and we were sending people home and the return to workplace, you know, how do we keep people productive, secure and healthy is such a key part for us. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk to than you, Amy, from HR and how we think about our people and make sure we do all those things and all the lessons we've learned. And I mean, you've been amazing and you know, leading this effort in, as part of the COVID response team. So I just was really excited to talk to you about it.
0: Thanks, Brad. I'm happy to be here and happy to know that people are on top of your mind, less than security and other things. But yeah, thrilled to be here. And it's been great to be working with you and your team through the COVID response.
1: Yeah exactly exactly. When I took the role from the product team to this side of the, the business we did you know we did say crisis management should report into the function because how you respond to a crisis for a security event or a natural disaster or even pandemic was part of the planning there's a set of consistent things you have to go do a set of principles we guide ourselves to so it, you know I think that's been super helpful. I think about you know, your role, and when you go back to January 2020, even December, when we first started seeing some of these things, like maybe just play back from your perspective a little bit on, you know, what were the initial conversations like and, and what, what you were thinking, you know, thinking about representing all the people for the company?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. It's like many other things at this company. Sort of, how did how did I find myself in the middle of this response team, and uh, and what was it like back then? Now that we're, I don't know, fifteen months, fourteen months from there, and I remember the day as we were starting to. If I think back to the that time frame, as we were starting to think through sending all of our employees home, which you know, you know, at the scale, you know, one hundred and. 40,000, I don't know exactly the number we're at, across 100 plus countries, sending everybody home or sheltering in place. Sending them from the office is probably a a more accurate description. And I remember getting a call from one of my favorite attorneys saying, hey, we have this team that's come together that I think you need to be a part of. There's various people in HR, including our public health expert, but there's nobody sort of pulling together what is the HR response going to be and all the issues we're going to have with all the movement of people and, hey, could you join this team? Little did I know what it it would become a bit of a full-time job. But if I get myself back to that place, I think about the scale in which we were trying to do this. So that's how we, we sort of formed this team that came from across functional parts of the company, from real estate and security, from HR, from our legal partners, and obviously a lot of people, Brett, on your team, we started to come together to deal with not only sending everybody outside the office or home from the office, but then what and now what? How do we keep our employees safe and healthy? So it was a, it was a big you know undertaking. If I really kind of look back, which I haven't quite honestly done a lot of reflection just yet, since we are still in a pandemic state, literally across the globe.
1: You know, we had people move to re- working remotely in the forty-eight hour window. And I remember our you know, CFO said, hey, how do we make sure people are being productive? That turned out to be a lot easier than people returning to workplace because you do it you, you, like it's everybody in mass essentially for us in 48 hours to you know, varying locations, countries, styles, et cetera, for how people are returning to workplace is very, very much more fragmented. So how did we make the decision? Like what is our current policy for like as we are bringing people back? Because you hear about this, you know, flex work time and flex location. And so maybe a little bit of the thought process, because you guys really drove the the new model we're, we're working towards.
0: So I think we, it sounds kind of crazy, but we really sort of relied on maintaining our culture through this. Who do we want to be? Who are we now? Who do we want to be in the future? Where do we want to be on the flexibility scale? So some of the things that you know well, Brett, we we relied a lot on the workplace stages, so we could clearly communicate when people could start coming back. So I think that was the initial question: is is when can people start coming back, and why can they? And so all of the data, the health data, and the metrics, and then the the regulations and the policies that they need to go. So our stages gave us a way to communicate that out to employees and leaders. And then we could dial back and dial forward. And so that gave us clarity. And then we needed to define the stages in that. And now we're at that place where we're really looking, we're facing in the next couple months, where most employees may come back in some way, shape, or form. So how are we thinking through what really is hybrid? So I think the way that I look at it is really, and you you talked about it, sort of that people... We have a physical spaces, places, and people and processes is some of the ways that we're really looking at it. And on the people side, we're starting with policies and, and we're starting with principles about how do we look at flexibility? How do we look at remote work? What are our beliefs about where employees are most engaged? So, I you know, the interesting thing about this pandemic is it really cracked the world open to say, hey, our employees can be more productive or be as productive if they're most engaged. And if you live and work where you're most engaged, we will get more discretionary effort. We will get more engaged employees. So we started with some of those principles and maybe those are more beliefs. And then we started to build what are policies on the ground. And and as you know, Brett, that's when it gets super complicated because of the breadth of our businesses, because of the breadth of our reach of of the globe, and now we're starting to really work on how is it going to work, literally? Like, what are the practices? Um, and we we spent a lot of time in the tactics to say, okay, you know, when somebody comes in, what do we think about shared offices? What do we think about open space? What are our employees saying? How are we listening and responding? So, I think there's a there's a lot of things in our, you know, we've just started to share our hybrid playbook, as many companies have, because I think this hybrid along with the pandemic really transcends competition. So we're all trying to share with one another, how are we going to crack this hybrid paradox and really get it right so we have an amazing workforce who are amazingly happy in a, in a, in a perfect world.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh totally get it. I'm curious because you mentioned the workplace stages. Can you just share for people it's what the stages are?
0: The principles behind it is since employees have the unique ability to continue working from home, like you said, Brett, because we are sort of privileged here in tech on that on that front. And I'm I, I'm generalizing with most employees. We know we have a lot that are essential workers that needed to have, and have never left the office. But the plan was really to slowly ease back into the workplace to ensure that our essential on-site workers are kept safe while we're also supporting the communities in which we work to recover quickly. So we have six stages on the dial and to really support this hybrid approach, we rolled those out so employees and leaders could understand that. So stage one is closed, so really only security is on site. Stage two is mandatory work from home unless you're a essential employee. Stage three was working from home is strongly encouraged. Stage four is soft opening. Stage five is open with restrictions, and stage six is open. We've modified that as we've learned more about COVID, what, how it actually reproduces the different variants. So again, that public health team, the data scientists have really helped us think through keeping employee health and safety top of mind in all these different stages.
1: Yeah, that's super helpful. And I think that obviously we've talked to a number of companies, like you said, because the pandemic sort of transcends competitive nature and sharing how we can, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats in these scenarios. You know, speaking of the global nature, and the variations, both in regulation, but also in you know health status of, of different locations. You know, I think a good example. I think Sacha recently, in the in the stuff we were doing, our CEO mentioned that in China, for example, eighty-one percent of our employees are going back to the work site three plus days per week compared to pre-pandemic time. And uh, you know, I know I get to look at these numbers every week. And then in Australia, in person attendance is just 19% of what was pre pandemic. And so, where you have similar stages, but very different culture, different views on how to go do that workforce. A little bit, if we could, just how you think about that, you know, relative to obviously one size doesn't fit all, but um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on where the cultural attributes are and and how we support that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you said it well. Flexibility, this is sort of in my, simple brain, I look a little bit at it as the same as the, I don't know, maybe Brad a decade ago, we started to try to define what work-life balance meant. And then we realized quite quickly, it means something different to everybody, depending on all of the parts of your identity and all of the parts of your life. And so I think flexibility is in kind of that same category where it's really hard to define what it means. It could mean something, you know, for me, it could mean that I have the flexibility to go do something, but I'm willing to work whatever hours it takes to do my job. For somebody else, it might mean that I stop work at a certain time. For somebody else, it might mean that, you know, I live near the community that, you know, I most identify with. So I think we're finding that it's really hard to define. So listening to our employees is our best bet in helping us to find at least the, the, the groups of flexibility that we're starting to think through. So I think about those as the the dimensions you probably saw on the hybrid playbook, which is, you know, about work hours, workplaces and work types. And so, again, it's not a one size fits all approach, but we can categorize some of these things to really harness what can we do about it and also You know, we've learned a lot, Brett, you know this. We've learned a lot about, okay, what do we lose if everybody scatters across the worlds and works wherever they want to? Satya has talked a lot lot about burning social capital. So we've also done a lot of um, work with the Future of Work team to try to understand, but when is it most important to be together? and when is it okay to all be, you know, in different places but we're all on teams together. And so we're we're learning a lot about what flexibility really means both at the individual level, at the team level, the business level and at the company level. And I think we'll continue to learn more. The one thing that I tell, you know, all of sort of my HR peers is how do you listen to your listening systems? I mean, we are so lucky to have so many people analytics arms. And Brett, you know that we're, we're always trying to figure out where all the information is so we can bring it together. But, you know, how do you hear from your employees? How do you uh, mine the data that your employees leave in the system in, in an appropriate way? And then how do you get insights from all of those so we can actually make policies and practices and places and processes work for our employees? So it's, it's going to be a continuing challenge about what flexibility is. But I think, you know, we're in a, a buyer's market here. The talent is going to decide its terms our current talent and the, our future candidates. So we've got to get flexibility to a place where people see their ability to work in whatever way they can in the business and the role that they're in that works best for them.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I love the way you phrase that around the, the you know, we you always refer to the digital empathy or the listening systems we've built that are one, like built inherently into the tools and systems we have. But then secondarily, like I know we did a lot of different survey things as well. And I And I think there's a couple of good examples. As a good example, one of the things that we do in in technology is we look at pull requests or code check-ins as a a unit of work of productivity. And we would see during the shelter-in-place period that number kept going up. And so we actually saw people doing more check-ins. And then we got worried about, well, this is not right. You know, people should be taking more time. We're worried about them taking time off. And then when you actually went past the data, which showed pull requests, you would see things like, "No, it's my way of coping. It keeps me from, you know, either watching the news or whatever it might be. But like for some people, it was their escape mechanism. So I think it's really has really challenged what inclusive thinking really is, and really, you know, trying to understand what people are doing. That would be a really good segue on this digital listening system. So there's two things. There's some of the things we've done in product, like workplace analytics. But you obviously run a massive survey system on a global level to try to understand and keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening. How are people feeling? Any insights from, you know, like to share with listeners on when to survey and when to use, you know, analytics built into tech?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm, you know, lucky enough to work alongside a bunch of super smart data scientists and analytics that have folks that, along with some of the workplace analytics that you mentioned, that can get sentiment. So there's a couple of ways that we've been thinking about it, which is, do we see a trend, maybe using your example of workplace analytics, do we see a trend on something about how many quiet days or how many non-meeting days do you have? And then can we use that trend and get employee sentiment around burnout if we have a hypothesis about burnout? which I know everybody's sort of talking about in the last year now is how, how, you know, digitally exhausted people are video exhaustion, you know, the term sort of living at work has, you know, used to be like, Oh, you slept on the couch. If you had a big deliverable the next day, now work is everywhere. And so I I think we found a lot of power in having hypothesis and then getting employee sentiment and, and Brett, you know, this, the, the challenge is what's your end size who's responding, what's the signal amongst the noise. And so I think in HR, we spend a lot of time on that latter one. What's the signal amongst the noise? And how do we not over-survey? As as you know, you know, we have many surveys that by culture, or by region, they want to know something more, but we're really trying to get it to a place where we can have it at the company level and, and not get survey exhaustion as well. But that's been one of the most powerful parts of being able to address different communities' acute needs and like people with kids at home. That's how we figured out really quickly that that was an acute need in our community. How could we help? And well-being has become something that's super top of mind. And that a lot of that came from our listening system and trying to figure out that signal.
1: Yeah, actually, (laughs) now you're hearkening back. I remember when I first started the company, I think it's uh, when the earth cooled, but it's I remember <laughs> I remember I remember them giving me what my, my boss said, Hey, the cool part is we're gonna let you expense the sleeping mat from REI. Okay. And I thought that was so cool. And then someone said, That's cool. Like, how is that cool that they expect you to sleep in the office? That was 30 years ago. We're not that company now, but I just, <laughs> I thought that, that was the coolest thing. I was gonna get to expense my sleeping mat.
0: Right. The more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. But I think that listening system, like you said, the wellness, like we learned a lot of things. So I think this has been a, you know, this data has been amazing and we had, you know, telemetry on things like, you know, how many meetings people were having and were they shorter, or longer, how many hours a day, two-party calls, which is the, you know, that's a person using Teams just call one other person, which is a replacement for the hallway conversations that used to happen when we were on premise. How did you see that play out like relative to, for example, individual contributors versus managers?
0: I think managers in general was a really interesting community that you and I could talk for hours about, and the impact of of COVID, the pandemic, what we rely on managers and in the company for. I think we saw, and and Brett, you have the data. We saw, you know, a definite additional pressure on managers, an additional increase of responsibility and time, and then therefore an additional burnout that the managers were having. And I think that you know it came from a, a lot of different things. Some of which is you've talked about meetings. That's a big one. Without the ability to do drop by, pick up the phone, everything had to be scheduled. Everything had to be meetings. We also were asking our managers really early on. And it's something that I don't think we would change because they're such an important community. But as I mentioned at the very beginning, we asked, you know, we had leaders that were coming out and communicating for clarity, to reduce uncertainty, to increase trust. But But you know, at the company, as big as we are, when we still try to do personal leadership at scale, we really, your day-to-day work is most impacted by your manager. So, we were also at the same time asking managers to really lean into their employees. And we used the model coach and care as our principles around management, but we really put that huge emphasis on care. So, we saw managers having a lot more work because they were doing check-ins with their employees. They were seeing how they were doing. They were they were just leaning in much harder than they ever have, not only for, for the work and the deliverables, but are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Checking in on your mental health, on your well-being, on is your family okay? So we saw an additional burden really early on in the managers, like you said, with, with the data and some of the analytics we saw. But we also then quickly put in some support for managers to try to get them resources really quickly things like check-ins and team agreements really simple things to help managers okay maybe i don't maybe it's not really clear to me how i go check in with my organization so we're so we were giving them some resources to help do that but managers were a key community in the 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 everyday sort of wellness and well-being of our employees
1: how does that transition though now if we're going to have this remote workforce, you know, more remote, more flexible than than we we were in the past, I think, to your point around flexible in time, flexible in location, flexible in role. I think that's going to be another thing that managers, another skill set. So how are we thinking about training managers for that?
0: It's a great question about, okay, so what does the manager role look like in hybrid? And I think, you know, our hypothesis is it's it's even more important than it was, you know, prior to the pandemic, that, Managers are the most important relationship to help foster a feeling of connectedness. And as you know, Brad, connectedness then gives you a whole bunch of other benefits as both an employee and and from the company perspective. So, you know, for managers, we're we're trying to help give them not just training, but learning and sort of this bite-sized learning around how do you think about hybrid meetings? How do you think about inclusion in hybrid? How do you make agreements? Because it can't be all alone on the employee to say, okay, this is what I, this is what flexibility means to me. They're part of a team. They're part of an organization. They have a role. So the manager does have an ability to say, let's make some agreements about what it's going to mean to be flexible in this team. And, And things like, let's say we're all local. I don't even know if there's any teams like that anymore, but maybe we say that we all come together on Mondays. And so that's part of our team agreement. And maybe some of our other team agreements are, we always have somebody in the meeting with us to, that's, you know, the inclusion ambassador or the facilitator to make sure everybody's got their voice heard. Maybe another agreement could be, we don't start talking about our weekends until we start teams in the room. So that that building social capital, that Brett, you and I walking to the meeting room together, the folks that don't actually sit in the building that we sit in or may they may have chosen to work from home, they get the benefit of, hey, how was your weekend? What did you do? And so that building those relationships. So there's lots of ways that we're going to start working with managers. We also have to be, I think, as a company, really supportive of how difficult the role of the manager is. I think, I think we've changed our narrative a bit. So How can we continue to help support them and give them the resources they need and give them a place to call when they're not exactly sure what to do? Things have gotten really, conversations have gotten complex. The world has gotten, I mean, let alone the pandemic, if you think about what happened around the world in the last 15 months, it's it's gotten to be a very complicated place because everything that happens out there is also happening inside the company. And so uh, managers have uh, big workloads. We're trying our best to help support them.
1: Yeah, I think you're referring to, like, just some of the social injustice on top of pandemic was really a taxing issue for managers, for sure. Just in terms of knowing how to respond and what to do and, you know, and their their own personal dealings with all those things are are pretty significant. Now, this is a part in the podcast where I get to have a lot of fun. Um, Oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. So, number one, uh, this is just more just simple. What is the current book you're reading and any book that you would recommend from reading recently?
0: You know this about me, Brett, but I'm always reading multiple books. I don't know if it's something about I don't know if people do that. I should ask people. Um, but um, I usually actually a lot
1: of people do. do, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, you have the perspicacity to pull it off. I could I could barely focus <laughs> on that. So good for you.
0: Well, let me tell you, it'll be death by multitasking is going to be uh-huh. my demise someday. But so I usually try to read something that, that aligns to my profession at the same time that I read something that's either fiction or an autobiography. So Right now, I'm reading um, Adam Grant's book called Think Again, which ironically is about unlearning change and reframing. I talk to employees a lot about how do you reframe your dream. And and it's so interesting during the pandemic because we're all kind of reframing what life is, what is work. So there's some irony there. And then I just started a fiction book called Landslide, which is a novel about kind of a family on the brink. I think of those two together and I thought, they're kind of a sad combination, but they're sort of they sort of match the pandemic. So unlearning, change, and people on the brink. So anyway, that's what I've got in my books. I don't know. What are you reading,
1: Brett? Oh, you don't get to ask me questions. That's <laughs> oh, the best man. part of this. Yes. <laughs> as far as the book I'm currently reading, which I will say reading slowly, is uh, Michael Singer, who wrote The Surrender Experiment, which is a really great book given to me by one of my favorite people at Microsoft. And it really is regarding about letting go and just running with uh, the energy that's happening at the time. And so as a security practitioner, you know we have this idea of create energy. This is one that uh, there's both types of energy. And so this is one that's just helping uh, think about how to make that thing go forward. So this is the thing that like from a practitioner perspective, and again, your unique perspective on this um, from the people in HR and even on the process side, I think is fascinating. So if you were talking to, a fellow HR friend or or you know another business and they were saying we well, were putting together a hybrid plan what would be the three things you would practically tell them to go start on
0: good question number 1 it may not be super when it comes to sort of practiced practically and tactics but i would say having you could either say growth mindset Brett, like you said or having a learning mindset or learner mindset is absolutely foundation for forward momentum on this stuff. I've had to challenge a whole bunch of things that I've thought, that I've felt. I've had to challenge a bunch of things that the company has. It's it's really interesting to think about now as people are starting to return, to think about and plan for returning to the work site I mean, your muscle memory is super strong, right? All of a sudden, you 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 can even visualize like things are going to look the way they used to look, and there's no going back. And so, let's take this as an incredible opportunity to be part of one of those companies that not only like is successful in hybrid, but can define what the future of work looks like. So, I you know, it's me constantly. I would say constantly check your biases, check your mindset check how you feel about people working from different places, check about hiring. There's a lot of things about really having a growth mindset to, to push forward. The second one I would say is listen with empathy. And you know this, Brett, you've been talking about as a leader and what they used to term as soft skills, which I don't think is actually, I think they're much harder than than yeah. the te- the technical skills of leadership, But but really listening with empathy. How do you how do you hear? How do you put yourself in someone else's shoes? How do you understand? Um, I think that's that's super key. And then the third one is really about the power of modeling. Someone like you, Brett, you're shadow cast long at the company. So everything you do, everyone's watching, which is you know a bit of a blessing and a curse. So how do you really model inclusion and
1: things like that? So that's great, Amy. I think what I heard you say just in summary is and one, Make sure the leadership team has a principled view on growth mindset and what the future can look like. Not just what do we come back to, but what does the future look like for the company and be aligned on that. Number two, make sure that people have built and designed a system that has the empathy required to continue to learn and drive those kinds of things. We refer to it as digital empathy. And then number three, the importance of modeling. And how critical that's going to be for leaders, managers, and ICs that they continue to model the behaviors that go back to point number one.
0: Since you've gotten all the opportunity to ask me questions, I'd love to, I mean, there's a big security element. You and I talk about process and people a lot, but I'd love to hear from you, you know, kind of what's on your mind after hearing from the people angle, from the security angle.
1: We need to really get this roles and responsibilities. I know that's big in HR. I'm the interviewer. I get to ask the questions <laughs> in this thing. But I think it's a great question. No, actually, I mean, seriously, it's a it's a really good question. I think for us and security practitioners, yes, having people work not in the buildings in, in that scenario did create a certain set of risks and profiles that we had to manage to ensure we could, you know, again, keep people productive, but also secure and healthy. And I think we covered a lot on the, idea about productive and and healthy. On the secure side, we did a podcast with Mark Rasanovich and also with Emma Smith from Vodafone on just the concept of zero trust. And luckily, in our scenario, you know, five years ago, we had started that model where we just assumed you weren't on a corporate network anyway, and we assumed breach. So we largely, you know, for us, even uh, despite the going to over, you know, a 97% remote workforce, we only had to make a 1% budget change in our VPN capacity because we'd already designed for a system like that. But I think it's totally fair. And I think there's some physical security aspects that we, in the hybrid workplace guide, we walk through what the security aspects are. So yeah, I think we were fortunate we'd been working on it. And there's some best practices there that uh, people can call into the other podcasts, or they can take a look at that paper. And I think that'd be great. I would also say it's super important for the security team to stay closely and tightly interlocked with the HR team. And so I think that's been a super good thing for us to go do. So I appreciate the ongoing partnership uh, that we've had. And thank you for everything you've done, both for Microsoft but and the security team.
0: Likewise, my friend, it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I look forward to our next episode. And remember... Stay safe and stay secure.
0: This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, we're talking scumbots with Paul Melson. Believe me, you're going to want to hear this. Be sure
1: to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.